You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. This is Erin McCart. And this is Erin McCourt. Welcome back, you guys. I hope you're as excited as I am. If you're a Gen Xer or even a millennial, this documentary will really be nostalgic for you, I think. Because today, we're covering Kid 90. This was really fun to watch. I love the idea that she just had a camera with her all of growing up, and somehow that was accepted by the people around her. Because <laughs> at no time was anybody like, that camera is stupid. I'm going to punch you. And I'm pretty sure at some point in my life, that would have been a thing. And she does kind of, they, they kind of talk about why later, but this is on Hulu. It was done in 2021. It's an hour and 12 minutes long. It's directed by Soleil Moon Fry. And this is her recordings and her childhood and her teenage years and early 20s growing up is what has been recorded. I will also mention there's an awesome 90s soundtrack that goes along with this. It's pretty sweet. So Soleil Moon Fry was Punky Brewster. She got the role at, I think, seven years old, and that show was crazy popular. I loved it as a kid because she's around the same age as I am, although I will say that I don't look nearly as amazing as she does now. Jesus, she looks great. She looks better now than she did when she was like in her 20s, in my opinion. She's stunningly beautiful. And she became very famous from that, and this kind of opens with scenes of very young Baby Soleil doing Punky Brewster, doing celebrity game shows, doing talk shows, going to the White House and meeting the president and all the things that come along with being a celebrity, I guess. So that was how she grew up. And a child actor nonetheless, too. So that doesn't have a great connotation, right? We don't have a lot of examples of people that that ended up working out real well for. Jodie Foster is about the only one I can think of. Is it because they're women? I don't know. Interpret as you will. (laughs) probably but she did she at one point in time got a video camera and this is kids if you can imagine separate from the phone that you have because no one had a phone other than the one attached to the wall and so this was a video camera that she essentially videotaped everything the good the bad and everything in between she also kept all of her diaries and journals she had growing up she has all of her voicemails and like tapes because those answering machines. I couldn't think of the word for it. The answering machines had cassette tapes in them. And so she has all of those. And I thought, I mean, going through that 20 years later, I can't even imagine how she felt seeing all of that. And that's part of what she talks about, right? Like there's a lot of her revisiting. At one point she says she wasn't sure she remembered it correctly. Right. Absolutely. I thought that was a really poignant comment because how many things do we remember completely differently than how they happened? Have we sugarcoated it to make it easier for us to swallow? Have we just disregarded it completely because we didn't want to handle it or deal with it? I like that at one point she says, this is the chronological blueprint of being a teen in the 90s. And I was like, that's a great way to explain what this is. Now, the putting together of it That would have been interesting, too. They don't really discuss that. But I'm like, I guess thanks for having the dates on everything. 
Oh, right. I can't imagine because there's so much that we didn't see, right? Can you imagine how much time this took to go through it all? Oh, yeah. I watch this and I see myself in my teenage years growing up. Now, take all the famous people out of it because I didn't know anyone (laughs) famous. But other than that, I did all the same shit she did. It's crazy to watch someone else live essentially the same life you lived at the same time. Yeah, it's weird. For me, it was a little bit different, like, to watch and remember the people that are on camera. So I wasn't as interesting. It doesn't really matter exactly if you identify with what they were doing. Just being a kid at that time, the things that they're referencing, the people that they're talking to, it's so engaging and they're so genuine. I mean, it's just really sweet to see these people that you grew up watching, like you grew up alongside just being people. That was really crazy. I really enjoyed that part. And just being teenagers in general, like something that you can see in these teenagers they're all teenagers. You know, at one point she's like, oh, I was, I just wanted to experience everything. And I, I, you know, was really into myself or I didn't hear my friends, all of those things that she said, well, that's all teenagers. All teenagers are extremely self-involved because they have to figure out themselves at that point in time. So, I mean, it's just across time, we're all kind of the same. So some of the famous people, she does interview some of the people that were in the videos and it's funny to watch their reaction watching these videos again too. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. Absolutely not. <laughs> Steven Dorf was there. He talks about meeting Soleil because he auditioned for a part on Punky Brewster. And then I guess they went to camp later on. What camp are these kids going to? I have to know. I assume it's space camp because there was also a movie about that. That's all I got. <laughs> yes. That was a little <laughs> bit earlier, but yeah. Brian Austin Green talks about meeting her at one of his one of her birthday parties. And you see the picture also had really pretty young Johnny Depp. God, he was so stunning. And uh, young C. Thomas Howell. Yeah. And then they say that Bubbles, Michael Jackson's chimpanzee, was there. And I was like, do you book that? What? (laughs) Right. Did they have to pay for that? I agree. I was very confused as to why Bubbles was there and not Michael Jackson. And Brian Austin Green talks about there were a handful of childhood actors at this time and everybody knew each other. So it was a tight knit group. And that's a funny, a funny thing to think about, right? They're just all going to each other's birthday parties and whatnot. Right. And apparently everyone hung out at Soleil's house, right? Cause she had, she was being raised by a single mother who looking at her name is Soleil Moon Fry. So I'm assuming her mom was a little bit of a hippie. I can dig it. But it was a modest home, and they show her house where she grew up. It was a modest home. There was nothing big and extravagant about it, but it was an open home, and everyone came there to hang out, and it was comfortable for all the kids to come there, and I love that. Well, I mean, this whole documentary is about name dropping, right, because she knew all the famous types, so Balthazar Getty mentioned specifically that her house was safe, and you were able to be yourself, and I think about being a kid. And being able to take off the mask and just be yourself around people who understood the pressures that you were under to be constantly performing. Now, I do think it's somewhat different at the time, you know, considering our time when everybody's going to camera and you really can't ever, ever, ever slip up. There probably was a little bit more ability to have a bad moment or two out in the public eye when these kids were young. However, I think being around the adults that they were around, the pressures that they were under to act and whatever, I think that that still would have been really substantial. 
And again, to just go somewhere where you knew you wouldn't have to deal with that was probably incredibly freeing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, I've always loved the name Balthazar Getty. It's a fucking move. What a great ass name. I have to look it up at some point in time and see if that's his given name or if he chose it for the stage. Surely that's his given name because it's so crazy, right? I mean, you're destined for greatness with a name like that. 100%. I had a crush on him when I was a kid. Uh, all of these, all of these people, they're beautiful. They're all, all so pretty. Them. I know. <laughs> I love that at one point in time they talk about, and I'm not sure where it is in here, but you had mentioned that having a camera in your face all the time would be annoying, but this is before everyone had a camera in their pocket and it was recording everything and there was no internet. So everything you did, it didn't feel like it was going to get out to the world. It was just for her. She was doing it for her. She wasn't going to release it. No one else was going to see it. And so they had that freedom to be themselves in front of the camera and not have to worry about, like you said, performing or doing something stupid and getting in trouble for it. There was a freedom in these videos that you won't see today, period. And to trust among these kids. That's the other thing that hadn't been introduced and tainted in a way that I think it would have been today. So Soleil's mom, Sandra, was a caterer. She had a catering business. She was single. Soleil also lived with her brother, Mino, who is six years older and appears in some of this. He doesn't really, they don't really talk to him or about him a whole lot, but sometimes he had the camera too. And so she ends up on camera quite a bit. So it's not just all these other famous people. She is also on camera as well, looking adorable. And then they talk a little bit about her dad. His name is Virgil Fry. He is an actor as well and pretty well connected because he is friends with Brando and Paul Newman. And actually, interesting, he's a big civil rights guy. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Right? I mean, it fits into the whole kind of hippie thing. So, yeah. It really does. But I wouldn't think like a big time actor would necessarily always be so concerned with activism. It's just a thought. Correct. And well, and I think you see, I'm trying to think of the actress that was helping out like the Black Panthers and that and she got in big trouble for it. You know what I'm talking about? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you could definitely be blacklisted for something like that. Was it Jane Fonda? No, it wasn't. She did get arrested for some of like the Vietnam War protests. Oh, okay. That must be what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I'll remember her name in the middle of the night at some point in time. Convenient. No doubt. So after Soleil did Punky, she did like a pilot that failed and she wasn't really that upset about it, right? She was excited just to kind of be a kid and go to school. But she started to develop really fast. So when she's 13 years old, she's practically in an E-cup bra, which is huge. I mean, and she's a tiny, tiny girl. I mean, she, what, is five foot one, real small. So I can't even imagine how uncomfortable that would be. I mean, disregard the... Unwanted attention. Yes, absolutely. For a 13-year-old to be treated that way, but just being uncomfortable and painful to carry that much weight around would be horrible. And it changes the whole trajectory of her career, right? So she's aware that she's getting attention for the wrong reasons. That's, I think, a kind way to say it. Some of the roles that she's offered are for older people. She calls them tits roles at one point at 13 and 14. And so people just sort of forget that she's a baby still, which is problematic. (laughs) And extremely common, yes. She said people call her Punky Boobster. 
which is terrible, but also funny. Witty. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at one point, Mark Paul Gossler, who is Zach on Saved by the Bell. Oh, again, another just so pretty. Yeah. He talks about how, because she's talking about how she's being treated as an adult at 13 years old because she has these huge tits. And Mark was saying that all the kids essentially were treated as adults on set. They tell you the minute you walk through those doors on set, you are no longer a kid, you're an adult. And I'm like, how horrible. These are kids. Now I understand they're working, but they're still kids. And you have to understand that. But they're treated like working adults. But it's almost one of those things where you've signed up for this and now we're going to do it the way we want to and damn you and damn your needs or whatever. But yeah, it is really unfortunate. Like the long hours, the weird school stuff. I mean, it had to have been miserable. So I think that's probably why a lot of actors don't want their kids to get into it until they're old enough to make that decision and understand what they're getting into. Right. And that is specifically called out a couple times in this, right? Yeah. And Mark Paul Gossler says that. I'm sorry, you can't just call him Mark, right? It's all three names all the time. I agree. <laughs> but he said, yeah, he he doesn't want his kids doing that work. And maybe when they're older, it'll be different. But at this point, no, he doesn't want them in the industry. So Soleil decides to get a breast reduction at a very young age. I want to say she was like 13 or 14 years old, maybe 15. And I like that they allowed her to do it because it's so rare it looked like she had a female surgeon, which is beneficial, because if it were a man, he probably would have been like, oh, no, surely you want to keep those. Sorry, you're top heavy and everything, but it works for me. Thanks. Yeah. Here, get a better bra. I don't know. And I love how the doctor asked for an autograph before she went into surgery. Like, she's like, I've never done this before in 20 years, but my daughter loves you. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. And it would make me feel good going in thinking, okay, well, she knows who I am. Maybe she'll take extra special care of me. I don't know. They surely do that for all their patients, but still. Right. So surgeons get kind of an interesting rap because they don't come across incredibly personable in a lot of cases. So I thought that this was a really nice moment where they had a fangirl moment or whatever. <laughs> it's super cute. Right. <laughs> yeah. We all have one person that we're going to just freak out over. It doesn't matter how stoic you are. There's always going to be someone, right? Right. Right. So she does show the recovery. And even though she's in pain, you can see how much happier she is from day one. I mean, it's instant how much happier she feels. And I thought, good for you for being able to do that. Good for you. So now she's thinking, okay, people will focus on me as a person and not just what I look like physically. And that's adorable that she thought that, I mean, you're a young woman. Of course, they're just going to look at you physically. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Right. Turns out problem not solved. She is getting some roles, but she's not really satisfied with them, right? So she's in Pumpkinhead 2 and Piranha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Twisted Love, The Killing Secret, Motel Blue, all B-rated kind of movies. Right. It's unfortunate, right? Because I'm sure she's amazing at her craft and just kind of wasn't given the opportunity. So it's hard. There's failure, right? You kind of get this sense of failure. After you've been so successful as a kid, I can't imagine how difficult that is, right? As an adult, it's hard enough. Brian Austin Green talks about how he was kind of on top of the world. Like he was a 90210, big star, doing big things. And then he put out a hip hop album. Which I'd forgot about. Me too. And he's like, boy, did it not land. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is someone called him the poor man's vanilla ice. <laughs> it's horrible and hilarious all at the same time. And I really, I'm very curious to understand 
Well, I mean, we we see that there are stars who are able to be successful in multiple different genres of whatever. Like some people, like the Lopez, let's say, singer, actor, dancer, the triple threat. Not everybody's able to bridge the gap. So I don't know, Eddie Money and party all the time. I mean, Murphy, Eddie Murphy. Yes, Eddie. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie probably never did any acting at all. I hope right, not. <laughs> right, but still, what a crooner. But yeah, so he said it was really tough because he got ripped apart. And again, I say, who thought that was a great idea? Like maybe he really had he was talented. I don't know. I do you think I'm gonna go and look this up? I just have. I might. I might have to. Think it's available on on iTunes? Surely, surely I can get the Brian Austin Green album on iTunes. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. He might have been very talented. It might have been a really good album. But a lot of times we look at those people switching into something else and think, oh, were they just, they're just trying something new. They're not going to be as good at it. We look at musicians who want to become actors and we give them shit. We look at actors who want to become musicians and we give them shit. I mean, absolutely. I would love to understand why some people can do it and when others can't. Like, I don't. I don't know, because I do feel like. They're very similar. If you're a really good artist on one aspect, you're probably able to translate that into another medium, if you will. But maybe not. Maybe they didn't have good writers. Maybe they didn't have as good of producers or people didn't promote it as well. I don't know. Anyway, for poor Brian, it did not go well. And they talked to several people that just, it just, they weren't able to transition really well from child actors. They were plagued with insecurity, right? So Soleil talks about... You know, she's fighting her insecurities by filming everything and trying to feel some control, I assume, of her life, you know, while she's kind of battling through acceptance issues. Yeah, I like that she said that she picked up the camera to try to get some control back in her life. And that's why I cut my hair really short sometimes. <laughs> get a little bit of control, right? <laughs> so some of the other people we see in here is a baby face Michael Rappaport. Love him. Listen, Rappaport. <laughs> eight feet, give or take a it's couple a centimeters. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Probably the most minor line he's ever uttered in his life, but that's the one that will forever be it's etched in my brain. Seared into my brain, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoever wrote that line for that poor man, stop it. Anyway, very weird Corey Feldman. And also very weird, yet awesome Perry Farrell, or Farrell, however you want to pronounce it. And you can see them doing all the things that teenagers do. Like I said, there are things that I did. They just happened to be celebrities. They happened to be in Hollywood. And I was in the Midwest, <laughs> living it up. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that there's footage of them drinking and, and smoking pot and doing drugs and that juxtaposed, for lack of a better word, with her doing talking bits on just say no to drugs. You don't have to do drugs to be cool. And <laughs> hey, kids. Don't yeah. do drugs. So she's making appearances at telethons or gatherings or whatever. And she's like, you don't have to. And it's very funny because then it will switch right over and she's like blowing smoke rings. And you're like, I think maybe that's not the first time she's ever done that. So pretty <laughs> right. funny. I love it. I love it. Well, David Arquette is featured on this a little bit too. And he's saying that they really got their start going crazy. There's a place called Bar One. And they got in, I mean, obviously way underage because they were famous. And that's really when the shit started to hit the fan, right? The wheels are starting to fall off. And I don't know. 
listen, there's video footage of them tripping on, we'll, we'll say probably mushrooms. Someone said it might've been ecstasy. I'm not sure. Anyway. And all I could think when I'm watching this is, oh dear God, if I had film of me tripping when I was younger, because I did, I would be mortified to watch it now. I can't even <laughs> imagine how horrible those videos would be. And I say to you, this is where the editing of this comes in because they really are portrayed in like, it's mostly happy moments, right? There are some where people are crying, people are yelling. There's a little bit of that, especially as we kind of edge towards some of the darker moments. But the vast majority is just people talking about stuff, people with very pleasant faces. It, it seems to be a good vibe kind of moment. But you know, there was something, you know, where somebody had like barf in their hair or something like didn't make it on screen. Well, they have a video of her throwing up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, thanks for sharing that. Ooh, ah. But again, I think it's brave of her to put any of this shit out there. She didn't have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. We hear voicemails from one Mark Wahlberg from his Funky Bunch days. Listen, he was really pretty back then. Let me just say. Here's one, another that you could say he made it in the music industry. He was a model, right? And now he's an actor and like a guy with some serious chops, right? Yeah. So yeah, some do make it. I mean, if you're that pretty, it helps. I'm sure. I mean, those abs. I'm not saying anything right. else. Yeah. Listen, he's earned them. I've heard his schedule. He's earned it. Where he gets up like 3 a.m. Yeah, absolutely. And probably eats four small children and then works out. I don't know. It's disgusting. 100%. Someone else that's in here is Danny Boy O'Connor, who was, I believe, the lead singer of the group House of Pain, who had a huge album. And I can think of one song they did. But <laughs> that one song pushed him real far into success. And then I don't know what happened after that. Right. And they talk about being along for the ride of his ascent into fame and there were just women everywhere and drugs all the time and you know kind of the standard that you hear about I'm going to say quotey fingers rock star but it it's pretty close to the rock star lifestyle and she gets a bunch of that on film she does and because they were kind of best friends and she talked about how they dated other people but they would always come back and they were best friends but they would kiss and then so I don't know if they really ever dated they seem to have really genuinely cared about each other but it doesn't ha seem to have been like a solid relationship in that manner, right? Right. At this point, I do want to call, you know, you mentioned that there are several voicemails that she plays and some of them are from people, you know, that say their name and some of them are just like threatening anonymous calls from girls that I'm like, seems interesting. Okay. How did you get her number? Do you think she's listed? I would think not. But... In the phone book? And, yeah. and two, how, what, I have no words. Why would you put forth effort to call someone and say, you suck. You're not as cool as you think you are. That, okay. <laughs> These people are also trolls on the internet. I'm sure of it. I just don't understand that mentality. Right. Why don't you just call and say, I'm really threatened by your success and beauty. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm nothing. Right. Yeah. Video of Les Claypool which I was very excited to see that. And Mickey Rourke, what do you still look like Mickey Rourke? Well, I mean, this thing is, it's crazy. I think Adam Carolla's in there, David Arquette, Jenny Lewis, Kevin Connolly, The Feldman, Emmanuel Lewis, Mario Lopez, Mark McGrath. Fucking Mark McGrath. 
Sasha Jensen. I mean, they're all in there. Everyone. Everyone. So here's here's where it starts to get dark, right? So she talks about how even though you're with people every day, a lot of them are really lonely. And it's hard to watch her talk about this because she's like, she can look at these videos, she can listen to the voicemails, and she can hear it in them. She can see it in them, but she couldn't at the time. Because again, you're so self-involved at that age, you're not thinking of others, right? And unless they explicitly say something like they need help, you don't really pick up on it. But they had several friends commit suicide. And now going back and watching videos of them and listening to their voicemails, it's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Right. Because she interprets what they're saying as kind of a cry for help, right? Where they're, at the time, they come off kind of jokey. Like, I think it would have been easy to miss as a kid because we don't really talk, at least I think we're getting better all the time, but there was really no discussion about mental health Mm -mm. at this point in, you know, in the 90s. Nobody really talked about that. You didn't admit a weakness like this. David Arquette says it's hard because some people are just done with the world too soon because they don't realize it will get better. It gets better, right? It's so, everything is so much harder when you're young and it feels so much more intense and so much more catastrophic if something goes wrong when you're a kid. But when you grow up, it's easier to tolerate those things. I don't know why that is. Well, you've lived through some things, right? Like you got through and you understand like, yeah, it's really painful, but in time I will recover. I'll survive this. Yeah. And how do you explain that to somebody that's not been through it? It's very difficult. You just have to be like, you know, trust me, hang on. I'll be here for you. We'll get through it together. But, you know, until somebody gets through it, they have no reference. And you're right. We didn't talk about mental health and depression and things like that back then. You just smiled more. Absolutely. (laughs) Because it makes people uncomfortable if you talk about it. So if you can hide it, then they'll be happier. And so you can move on with your life, I guess. I don't know. They have video of the 1992 riots, which were in LA after the beating of, was it Rodney Rodney King? King? Yeah. Okay. The 1993 Topanga fire, the OJ like chase. It's a very slow chase, but it was a chase nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching all of these things on TV and it was right there where they live. So that's kind of crazy. Right. That's a national memory, right? There are a lot of people who have, yeah. And then she talks about, there are a couple things that kind of blend together here. So she talks about essentially drinking anything that was handed to her. And at one night, it it seemed to have been spiked with a roofie or something. So she was talking, there's some recordings of her talking to someone and asking if anything happened, you know, because she blacked out. And he's like, oh, you were drinking. And she's like, no, I wasn't. I was drinking ginger ale. So for once, she wasn't actually drinking. And Oh, well, and, and she's like, well, did you do anything? And he's like, no, but I totally could have. Oh, what a gentleman. So it seemed like she was okay in that instance. Thankfully, she was around people who were relatively safe. But then she starts talking about meeting a person. She never names the person. She just calls it him. She meets him around the age of 17. And she was drawn to him immediately. They had a relationship. And she talks about how she thought she was ready for sex. She's still a virgin at this point. She's very openly a virgin and talks about it on television and that. And then right before the act, she decides, no, she's definitely not ready. 
to which he gets mad and thrusts into her anyway. She pushes him off. He gets up, storms away, and goes into the other room. And she goes into the other room, and he makes a comment of, how does it feel not to be a virgin anymore? Oh, well done, sir. Well done. Right, and he asks her, too, are you going to say that I raped you? And she's sort of like, no... Because I, I, you know, I think in this case, when you have a relationship with somebody, it is unclear mm-hmm. whether that's what it was or not. I mean, to her at the time, right? So, you know, we kind of foo-foo stuff off if it doesn't fit a very specific definition of what rape is. So it's tough. She put some of the blame on herself, too. She said, oh, I would take, you know, it's kind of my fault, too, because I was so forward. no. No, baby Soleil, it was not your fault at all. And what's interesting is she's watching these videos, listening to these tapes, reading the diaries, and she said that she, after that happened, she essentially just blocked it away. She never told anyone. She didn't talk to anyone about it. She didn't deal with it at all until now, 20 years later, dealing with it now. How hard. I can't even imagine how much therapy you need after you open up Pandora's box like that. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, it's unclear what you're supposed to do with those feelings, who you're supposed to talk to and tell about that kind of stuff. We're still terrible at this, at support for victims. You know what I mean? And I think that she's right. People would have said, well, you guys were kind of right at the cusp and at the last minute she, and you know what I mean? I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here, but she doesn't know what to do with this feeling or how to handle it. So. Absolutely. I mean, generally the victim gets blamed. So. All I can think of is how many women have a similar story. I don't think I know a single woman who hasn't been sexually assaulted in some way, a single one. Do we talk about it? No, because we, in theory, were raised that this was, uh, this was just part of life and you just deal with it and move on, which is fucking horrible. And I hope the younger generation can change that. Well, I think these conversations are really important to say this counts. We don't normalize this. We don't shove it in the back and say, you know, kind of make excuses. So six months later, she starts talking to one Charles Sheen. And that's how he is on her answering machine, right? This is Charles Sheen. This is Charles. Every time he says Charles, I nearly lost it. Chuckle, chuckle. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, Chuck, just calm down. They're dating. He's like 10 years older than her, maybe a little bit more. So it's it's not a real good situation, but he seems to treat her well. She loses her virginity to him, virginity to him and I uh, hope she got tested. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Charlie, as we all know him, Charlie from such uh, classics as Major League, not got a great rap, but I agree. He seems to, I mean, they're dating. It's not just kind of a hit it and quit it situation. So <laughs> he seems to care for her, right? And they like, It's super cute. They're going to baseball games and stuff. So, Right, right. So by about the age of 18, Soleil's ready to get out of Hollywood. Like, she's done. So she moves to New York City to go to the actor's studio. Good for her. James Lipton, he'll get you all whipped in shape. (laughs) I still love that show. Oh, so good. Can we talk about the fact that she flew to New York City? Good for her. But she checked, like, everything she owned. There were piles of bags and even in the 90s jesus the cost of that outrageous that's crazy 
I guess, I mean, they don't really discuss why they made that decision versus some kind of cross-country road trip madness. I mean, her mom was working maybe. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things, but the same thing occurred to me. I was like, she's got a lot of really cute bags. <laughs> yeah, and she's checking all of them. No, I mean, yeah. fly across country, but like ship your stuff or something. That just seems like it would have been more efficient and cheaper. I don't know. What do I know? And she talks about feeling free for like the first time. So she's living on her own. She's outside of that bubble of LA and the people. And she's living on a futon on a floor. It's a fairly barren, small apartment. It's New York City. I mean, of course. But she loves it. And she said it was some of the best times of her life. So good for her. She has a roommate. His name's Matt. She talks about how it. she's got a profound sense of freedom on stage. It really feels good. She's She's found something, right? Like some, some measure of, I don't know, just goodness with what she's got going on. And she is still kind of seeing Charles at this point. And I think it's really cute because she falls in love with skate culture. So all the skateboard kids that are running around, um, she meets specifically Justin Pierce and his crew. And then there's a significant portion of the documentary that's focuses on her hanging out with all these skater boys and whatnot. Right. And these are the kids that were just in the movie kids. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, you know, they had just been filmed in this movie, just living their life essentially. And now she happened upon them while they were living their life. And so she, they come over to her place a lot. They hang out. Harold Hunter, one of them lived in her closet for a while, which I think is hilarious. Uh, absolutely. And she considers them part of her family, right? She's forming a new family for herself, which we, if anyone has moved away from their family on your own, that's what you do. You collect people to kind of fill that void of not having them there. And I always admire skater, like kind of skate culture, because it's not about appearances, right? And I wonder if that really appealed to her coming from Hollywood. You know, they just come across so genuine, especially in this. And she has a little flirtation with Justin and, talks about all the different, you know, folks she meets. Pete BC? How do you pronounce that? I don't know. I didn't write it down. Okay. So he's a, <laughs> he's a pro skater slash firefighter for New York City. And I thought, well, that's, I mean, absolutely go for it. And he kind of talks about having the camera in their face all the time. And she was so wide eyed. And I think that really attracted, you know, them as well. And he says that the pain drove a lot of their actions. Like nobody really talked about it. But there was a lot of pain in that group of kids. And unfortunately, here we go again, because Justin Pierce dies at the ripe old age of 25. By suicide, yeah. Yeah, in a hotel room somewhere. And then Harold Hunter dies at 31. Of a heart attack, yeah. And it's just so sad. Yeah, they're just babies. What did you say that guy's name, the firefighter guy? His name is Pete, and the last name is B-C, B-I-C-I. Okay. Well, Pete at one point had talked about how often do we actually look at someone and say, how are you? And actually hear them back. And all I could think of is in your teens and twenties, rarely, never, you, you talk to people to talk to them, not to listen to them. Most of the time you are talking. So it's easy to miss those things. Well, and again, we don't, it's not emphasized, right? Like it's, it's a very surface level friendships in most cases, and as you get older, you understand that people need you sometimes to check on them and stuff, you know? 
So they just, they just hadn't made it here yet. And I think that's really sad because these were really talented and I don't know, brilliant people and their skill sets, right? I mean, they had some things going on. And again, as older people were like, I wish you'd just hung on a little longer. Maybe it would have made a difference. I feel like anyone who, if that's their option, I can't imagine the pain that they're feeling. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be a horrible, horrible type of, I mean, not physical pain, but just living every day has got to be so difficult that that's the better option. And I'd like to think that if that's the case, then hopefully they're at peace, you know? So Andrew Dorff is another one. This is Stephen Dorff's brother. We know Stephen Dorff from everything. He's in everything. (laughs) (laughs) I loved him in Blade. That's probably my fondest one, but, and he's again, so pretty. He is so pretty. So Stephen talks about how Soleil and him kind of reconnected when his brother passed because Andrew, you can see him in several of the videos in LA and New York. He hung out with the group and he passed in 2016 in what appears to be a drowning. There was alcohol involved, but it didn't seem to be intentional. It's just a very sad accident really. And so they kind of reconnected. She also went back and talked to Danny Boy O'Connor. Like she flew out to talk to him. And one of the things is even though she's gone through these videotapes and the diaries and that she wanted to talk to him and, was this as real for you as it was for me? Because this is what I felt back then. And I'm curious to know if that's what you felt. And I love that he was like, absolutely. I felt the same way. And, you know, he kind of commented how his life was getting out of control. And she she left at a good time. So she didn't have to see how bad it got. Right? Yeah. And there's no animosity here. He is He is happy that she left when she did. And I want to say something else at this point, because these people in these videos are so affectionate, like physically affectionate. There's a lot of hugging. There's a lot of like touching and stuff. It's not weird at all, but I'm like, is that, I didn't have friendships where I did that. So I want, is that a Midwestern thing that you don't touch anybody? No, I don't think so because I've, I've had friendships that are extremely touchy, Okay, but I've had friendships that aren't. So it's just a person to person thing. And some people are just more affectionate than others, I think, and show it in different ways. Well, even when they get back together, it's like no time has passed. At least that's what it presents, what I'm picking up. And they're still super affectionate and very cute. And he still looks like a b-boy. And it's funny to me to see them like that. It's so cute. Yeah, and it's nice. I can't can't imagine talking to some of the people from when I was younger. A lot of people you still can see on Facebook and that. But there are some people that you probably had really close relationships with that I know I did. That it would be interesting to talk to them again and be like, was this real because it felt really real when I was 15 and I'm not sure now if it were I mean it's a different kind of love when you're that young right oh 100 yeah yeah I like that she went back and talked to them I like that these people she goes and she talks face to face and shows David Arquette the videos and Brian Austin Green the videos and they talk and they hug and I love that these people grew up together and are still able to be friends and still able to talk to one another yeah that makes me happy Well, even when she's talking to Brian Austin Green, he's saying as adults, they've run into each other, but they've had their kids with them or whatever. And she, I mean, that kind of occurred to her, if we were close, would it, maybe it just seemed very surface level when that happened. So when she watches it, she's like, you know, we really were close at one point, right? I wasn't just making that up. Right, right. Yes, it's just like, you know, weird adult pressure and, you know, and it, it just isn't translate well now that they're 
grown with families of their own. So even regular people, there are certain points in your life where you don't get to talk to them all the time because you're too busy. Things happen. But it's good to know that every now and then you could pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, how are you? I haven't talked to you in a while, you know, and just kind of catch up and not be angry at the other person for not having talked to them. Right. There's acceptance there for everything. So, yeah, I agree. The one last thing she does kind of say is she feels like in watching these videos again and going through the diaries that she is reliving her youth and coming of age again. And I thought that's amazing to be able to do as an adult with perspective and how different that must be this time around. Right. Mm -hmm. I really took away from it that she said that she loved her friends and she was loved and how lovely that is just to understand that what she remembered was real and that they were connected. I mean, that's really what life's all about. So they say. So they say. It's the relationships, not the stuff. So I think that's really sweet. Yeah, it is nice to be able to look around you and know that you have people that love you. I loved this documentary. It was short. It was very nostalgic. Very nostalgic. And I like that it was very, it wasn't all fluffy. There were some difficult parts to it. And it's good to watch people work through that. Yeah, I agree. It was fun to see people and kind of be transported to a time where you may have been first introduced to them or you crushed on them or, you know, the music that you mentioned earlier was definitely big in this, but it was fun because, again, it feels like you're coming of age alongside, you know, your people before, maybe before life was so complicated. Right. It was pretty simple, right? When you're a kid, it seems simple. I mean, it seems horrible the worst and everything's you know so much but yeah. when you look back you're like Jesus life was so simple <laughs> right so this one was cute a uh, total thumbs up from this Aaron also from this Aaron so that's a that's a two Aaron thumbs up yeah, situation yeah. so you must go watch it instantly so we have two more episodes in this season mm-hmm. and then we're going to take a little break a couple weeks off and start up again in the new year what we're going to do for the last two episodes is, what are we doing, Erin? We're going to watch and review Netflix's How to Fix a Drug Scandal. So this is one of those that we watched when we were trying to hatch our evil plot to have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because again, it, it kind of hits the sweet spot for us because it's some some science, amazing story, and it was really engaging. This was one that was hotly talked about at the office for us. Yes. Everybody's like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? So I'm very eager to talk about it again. And it is four episodes. So we're going to break it into two separate podcast episodes so we can kind of cover the whole thing well. And then again, we'll take a couple weeks off. And during that time, you can send in any suggestions for the next season. You can send in any comments. You can tell us, you know, you can call us and tell us how much you hate us because we're so successful in life. It's fine. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Naysayers welcome. Please do. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's been real. And uh, peace out. Laters, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.